We have been in this chapter for some time, but this morning we are going to bring it to a close. This is one of the great chapters in the Word of God, especially in the Gospel of John. We've been walking through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings, looking verse by verse uh, at the message that John had for his readers. Perhaps there's no book in the Bible that gives us a better understanding of who Jesus Christ is than the Gospel of John. As a matter of fact, the other three gospel writers tend to focus a lot more on what Jesus did in his earthly ministry, whereas John tends to focus a lot more on who Jesus was. You know, he opens the gospel of John by speaking about Jesus Christ being the Word, and that the Word was with God, and that the Word was God. Very clearly in the opening chapter of the Gospel of John, it is revealed to us that Jesus Christ is God in the human flesh. We should not be surprised by that at all. Then when we come to chapter 5, we see Jesus Christ making these claims about himself, these claims that we've looked at over the last several weeks. If you remember, the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John opens with Jesus Christ performing a miracle at the pool of Bethesda. He goes there and he heals a man on the Sabbath day. And after he heals that man, he tells him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. It is that miracle that brings Jesus Christ into conflict with the religious leaders. So in verse 17 of chapter 5 of the Gospel of John, we have Jesus Christ's response to the religious leaders. And if you remember in verses 17 through 23, Jesus Christ makes three audacious claims. You know, when Jesus Christ speaks these words, I don't know that they had the same impact on our lives today that it did on his first century hearers. Can you imagine seeing this man, Jesus Christ, stand up before a group of people? He's responding to the criticism of the religious leaders of his day. In the first claim that he makes, he claims to be equal with God in his nature. I mean, Jesus Christ just claimed to be God in the human flesh. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what must have been going on in the minds of those first century hearers when Jesus Christ makes a claim like that? I mean, think about it. Some of them knew him. Maybe perhaps there's people standing in that crowd that day who have grown up with Jesus Christ as a child. They know the story of his mother in that whole situation there. And now this man gets up and he makes this claim to be equal with God in his nature. And if that's not enough, he goes on and he has the audacity to make the claim that he is equal to God in his works. As a matter of fact, if you remember, Jesus Christ makes that great statement, I only do what I see the Father doing. I simply, joining, I simply join him in his work. So if Jesus Christ was sinning by healing the man on the Sabbath, then the Father in heaven must be sinning as well because he's just joining the Father in what he sees him doing. 
He goes on and he says this last statement or makes this last claim. He says to be equal, he claims to be equal with God in his worship. He says here in this passage of Scripture in verse 23, Honor the Father, honor the Son. Honor the Son, honor the Father. Don't honor the Son, don't honor the Father. Don't honor the Father, don't honor the Son. Just think about that for a moment. Those are some pretty daring claims to be made by one man. He claimed to be God in the human flesh. Last week we talked about life and judgment. We really didn't get around to that judgment part. We spent a lot of time on the life part, didn't we? Well, I'm going to tell you I'm quite adventuresome this morning because this passage of Scripture is quite lengthy. It stretches all the way from verse 31 through verse 47. But the unique thing in this passage of Scripture is Jesus Christ is going to announce witness after witness to substantiate the claims that He made early on. This is the third part of His response to the criticism of the religious leaders. And he's going to introduce a number of different witnesses that are going to validate the claims that he has made. Now, I want you to get this picture in your mind for just a moment, if you can. I want you to picture in your mind a courtroom. How many of you have ever been in a courtroom before? You ever been in a courtroom? I have. I was called to jury duty one time. I thank the Lord that I was not chosen. I'm always grateful for that. I don't want to be on a jury, but I was called uh, to be on jury duty. And I remember going to the courtroom there in Jasper County at the courthouse in the center of the city of Jasper. Well, if you can imagine a courtroom for a moment, then you can imagine what is happening in this scene. It's like it is a courtroom and the jury is the listeners that Jesus Christ is speaking to. He's made these three daring claims that we looked at several weeks ago. And now he is going to call witness after witness after witness to substantiate the claims that he has made. I've spent a lot of time over the last several weeks thinking about the words of Jesus Christ, and I have walked away with this conclusion. Anyone can claim to be anything but that does not necessarily mean that it's true. Through the centuries, numerous people have claimed to be God. However, those claims are oftentimes dismissed as the foolish rambling of an insane person. We can all point to figures throughout history at one time or another who have claimed to be God, can't we? How many of you remember Charlie Manson? Do y'all remember that man? He claimed to be God. But when we looked at him, we thought to ourselves, well, that's the foolish rambling of an insane person. Isn't that what we thought? And there have been others throughout the centuries that have claimed to be God. So what made Jesus Christ's claims different? How do we know that Jesus Christ wasn't just another foolish person rambling on about who he was. Is there really any proof that can substantiate that Jesus Christ 
was truly God in the human flesh? Well, Jesus Christ is going to provide the answer to that question in this story. He's going to call to the jury stand four different witnesses to make his point. I want you to listen as we begin reading right here in verse 31. Verse 31, listen to what he says. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. It's foolish to bear witness about ourselves if we have no one else to substantiate what it is that we are testifying, and that's what Jesus Christ is saying. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. So the first witness that Jesus Christ calls to the stand is John the Baptist. Right here in this, passage, uh, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus Christ points out the fact that John the Baptist bore witness to who he truly was. He says that he bore witness to the truth. Now, when we read that, we have to ask ourselves the question, what truth is it that John the Baptist bore witness to? What truth is Jesus Christ referring to? Well, that's easy for us to answer. We've looked at the story of John the Baptist. We know that Jesus Christ came to John the Baptist when John was baptizing at the River Jordan. And when he came there, John made this proclamation about who Jesus Christ was. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is the truth that John the Baptist bore witness about. In essence, what John the Baptist was saying is, hey, Israel, open your eyes. You see that man over there? He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's what he was saying about him. So the first person that Jesus Christ calls on behalf of a witness for him to substantiate the claims that he's made, he calls John the Baptist. But you know, as I stopped and I thought about John the Baptist as a witness, you know, when I examined it more closely, I walked away with this. You know, John was a fallible man, just like all of us. Is it possible that John could have been mistaken when he made this bold proclamation about who Jesus Christ was? I mean, think about it. It is a pretty strong witness, isn't it? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, most Jews did consider John to be a prophet sent by God. And he's just announced that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah. But when we begin to look and think about this person, John the Baptist, he's a man just like us. He was mankind. He was human. So it was possible that John could have made a mistake. Isn't that true? As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ is going to go on and even say he even has a greater witness than John the Baptist. Let's go back to this text and listen to what he's going to say here. Verse 32, there is another one who bears witness about him, 
and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, he was talking about the religious leaders, he, they sent, they went to John, and he has bore witness to the truth. He bore witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Verse 34, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. So Jesus Christ looks and says, hey, I want you to know something. John serves as a witness for me, but I will tell you something. I have far greater witnesses than John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist was a man. He was a great man. He was an honored man among God's kingdom. But I will tell you, the witnesses that I will call after this are far greater than any witness that John the Baptist may have testified about me. Now listen to what he's going to say here. Verse 36, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So there's a second witness that Jesus Christ offers up for us, doesn't he? He says, hey, listen, here's a witness that testifies to the fact of who I am. He says, my very works that I do, the works that the Father sent me to do, bear witness to who I am. Now you think about it. Jesus Christ performed some wonderful, unbelievable miracles, didn't he? By this time, he's already turned the water into wine, didn't he? Yeah. He healed the official son by just speaking the word, remember? Go home, your son as well. Isn't that crazy? We know he did other great miraculous signs because it tells us in the Word of God. He's healed this man at the pool of Bethesda. As we stop and we examine the works of Jesus Christ to this point, we have to stand back in amazement and we have to announce, oh my goodness, they must, they must be a great witness. They must testify to the fact of who Jesus Christ is. And we know that Jesus Christ is even going to do greater things, don't we, in the rest of the Gospels that are recorded for us. He does other amazing miracles, doesn't he? But can I suggest to you, Jesus Christ is not the only man who performed miracles in the Bible? I mean, think about it. Moses parted the Red Sea. That's pretty awesome, wasn't it? And what about the other prophets of the Old Testament? There was old Elijah, you remember, he called down fire from heaven on the top of Mount Carmel. What about that? And then he prayed. And after three years of drought, God sent rain. What a prayer life, right? And then there was Elijah who followed Elijah. Those are kind of tongue twisters, aren't they? He raised the Shulamite son from the dead. Oh, of course, there's the New Testament men as well. There's Peter and Paul. Peter healed a guy at the temple gate that had been crippled all of his life. He looked at him, Peter did, and said, Silver or gold, I have none. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. And he walked. And don't forget about Paul. Paul healed people. Oh, and there's the time where Paul's on the island of Malta. And remember, he reaches down to pick up a piece of wood to chunk it in the fire. And a snake attaches himself to his hand. 
a very poisonous snake, Paul shakes it off into the fire and feels no ill effects. Or how about this time when Paul's preaching that great sermon? As a matter of fact, it goes well beyond midnight. What an audience, huh? Well beyond midnight, Paul preaches on. A guy in the second story falls asleep, falls out of the window, and breaks his neck and dies. And Paul raises him from the dead right there on the spot. I mean, think about it for a moment. All of those men did great and wonderful miracles, powerful miracles in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here Jesus Christ says, my miracles serve as a witness for me of the claims that I have made. When I read that, then I ask myself the question, well, what is the difference then? All of these other men are performing all kind of miracles in the Bible. What is the difference between the miracles that Jesus Christ performed and all of the other men? This is the one difference. None of the other ones ever claimed to be God. But Jesus Christ did. And Jesus Christ says, I want you to know something My miracles serve as a witness of the claims that I've made. Now, if those two are not enough, Jesus Christ is going to call a third witness to the stand. You know who he's going to call now? He's going to call his father. But he isn't going to call his earthly father. He's going to call his heavenly father. Listen to what Jesus Christ says in this passage of Scripture. Verse 37, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So Jesus Christ says, okay, if you don't believe these first two witnesses, if you won't believe John the Baptist, and you won't believe the miracles that I perform, hey, let me give you one other. I'm going to call my Father in heaven. He's bore witness to who I am. Now, when we read that passage of Scripture, those verses of Scripture, we may ask ourselves, well, where in the world does that take place? Well, on at least two different occasions in Scripture, God very clearly testifies to the fact of who Jesus Christ is. One of them is found early on in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me give you a little bit of the setting. John is baptizing at the Jordan River. Jesus Christ comes to John. He's going to be baptized. John baptizes him, and then a dove ascends on Jesus Christ in the form, or the Holy Spirit ascends on Jesus Christ in the form of a dove, and then there is a voice that speaks from heaven. You know what it says? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God the Father testifying to who Jesus Christ is. Now, if that's not enough, you can go to the later point in Jesus Christ's ministry. If you find it or if you look in Matthew, the 17th chapter, it's recorded there for us. 
And in that passage of Scripture, we have what is referred to as the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus Christ takes three of His apostles... He takes James, Peter, and John to the top of the mountain with him. And there, when he's there, he is transfigured. They see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. There are two guys that come, and they spend some time talking with him, Moses and Elijah. And then right after that, do you know what happens? There's a cloud in the sky, and the cloud announces this. This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Second time in Scripture. Now, we could stop right there this morning, couldn't we? I mean, when you consider John the Baptist as a witness and the truth that he testified to, when we consider the works of Jesus Christ, the miracles he done and the claim that goes along with that, that he is God in the human flesh, And when we consider what God the Father has said about Jesus Christ, we could leave out of this building today and it would easily be able to be said, Jesus Christ must be God in the human flesh. There's no other conclusion, right? Can there be any other conclusion? But Jesus Christ is not done. I mean, he's building a pretty convincing case, is he not? Can you see the case he's building? He's going to call one last witness. You know who he's going to call for his fourth witness? He's going to call one of the most revered men in in all of Judaism. He's going to call Moses. Moses. To bear witness to who Jesus Christ is. Now we need to stop right there because when I read what he says here in just a moment, I'm going to read it to you. I'm thinking to myself, how can this be? You know? Well, just listen to it. You you, you listen to it and you, you ask yourself the same question, all right? Listen to what it says here in verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I look at that verse of Scripture and I zoom in right there at the end of verse 46 and I ask myself the question, Jesus Christ, he obviously, he's made a mistake here. I mean, think about it. He says that Moses wrote about me. Now, I know that Moses is the author of the first five books. You can go back and you can search those five books. You will never, ever see the name of Jesus Christ in those five books. So what in the world is Jesus Christ talking about when he makes this kind of statement that Moses wrote about me? He must be confused, right? Is he? I like what one of my Old Testament professor said in seminary used to tell us boys he said boys you can find Jesus on every page of the Bible if you know where to look and you know what that is so 
very true. We don't have time to go there this morning, but if you were to flip over to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, this is what you would see. That the law, the sacrificial system, all of the feasts and festivals are a shadow of that which is to come. We've all seen shadows, right? As a matter of fact, if you look up here right now, you can see my shadow as I walk back and forth, I move my hands. We can look at a shadow and we can tell the figure that is standing there, but it's really hard to determine exactly the person, right? Isn't that true? Yeah, it is. Now I want you to think about this. Everything in the Old Testament, the law, the feast, the festivals, the sacrificial system is a shadow of that which is to come. It is the stage has been set. Everything is in its place. And then boom, Jesus Christ arrives on the scene. And now you can very clearly see the Son of God in human flesh. He is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. You can clearly see now who He is. The long-awaited Messiah. Don't miss what He says here. Listen to what He says. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For He wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe his words? Jump back up to verse 45. Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Moses. You know, as I thought about the claim of Jesus Christ, and I asked myself the question, what does, Jesus Christ when he, what does Jesus Christ mean when He makes this statement in this passage of Scripture? How do we honestly know that Jesus Christ was the Messiah? Well, the answer to that question is very easy. Because through His birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection, Jesus fulfilled every Old Testament prophecy concerning the Messiah. From the place where He was born to where He grew up, how his ministry would look on earth, to how he died, how he was buried, and how he rose from the grave. When you look at the witnesses, the evidence is overwhelming. Jesus Christ must be God. The evidence is undisputable. It's easy to see. Jesus is God. I mean, think about it for a moment. Consider the witnesses. John the Baptist. Consider the works that Jesus did. Consider what the Father said about Jesus Christ. And listen to what Moses wrote about who Jesus would be. Let me say this as I close this morning. I want you to listen to me carefully. Jesus' aim in this defense of his deity, is not to win an argument. If that is your takeaway this morning from this passage, you have missed Jesus' entire point. 
Jesus' aim in this passage was to win souls. Listen to what he says in verse 34. Not that the testimony that I receive is from men, man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. Listen, folks. When we have the opportunity to bear witness to who Jesus Christ is, it shouldn't be with the hopes of winning an argument. It should be with the hopes of seeing people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The point of the witnesses is to testify to who Christ is so that people, including you, may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Peter said in Acts the fourth chapter, there is no other name given under heaven by which men can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. There is salvation that is found in one and one alone, and His name is Jesus Christ. He willingly went to a cruel cross. He hung there and He died to pay the penalty for our sins. And if we are willing to look to Him in faith, trusting that Jesus Christ died on that cross to pay the penalty for my sin, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the truth of God's Word. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this, have I called on the name of the Lord? Father God, we thank you for your word and the way it speaks to our hearts and our lives this morning. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you truly are and the witnesses that you gave us in Scripture to show us that your claims were true, Lord. Father, as we enter into this time of invitation, Father, I pray if there's anyone here today who has never turned to Jesus Christ in faith and trusted in Him, I pray today would be that day that they make that decision. Father, You continue to work in our hearts and our lives, guiding us and stirring us to the decisions that we need to make. We ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.